Hey, good morning, Grace. I want to introduce to you uh, and, and interview briefly our speaker today, Michael Kraft. I'll bring him up uh, and I'll show you a picture. We're going to put a picture up of Michael and his wife, Ariel, who are down visiting us this Sunday. They're church planters in our district at San Antonio. There are three girls that they have with them as well. And uh, they basically came from the East Coast. They grew up in the Midwest, but were ministering in the East Coast, traveled to Texas to be part of our district and the EFCA that has a movement of really uh, focusing on planting churches and multiplying. And, and through that journey, Michael and I got connected as our district is trying to mobilize churches to be better multipliers and being part of not just planting churches, but finding church planters who want to plant churches. So I'm going to share a little bit of his journey or ask him to share a little bit of his journey through a couple questions, and then Michael's going to share the word with us this morning. So Michael, tell me, you were pastoring in Connecticut as a young adults and youth pastor, and from there you and Ariel felt led to plant a church. How did you get connected with us in Texas, and what brought you on that journey? Yeah, so, so we're originally from Chicago, and as Chad said, we'd been in Connecticut for, for six years, um, but I remember very early on in our time serving at that church, my wife uh, looked at me, and I remember where I was standing, and she said, I believe God's going to call us to plant a church one day. I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I, I really believe this is what he's, he's calling us to do one day, not knowing obviously when that would be or where that would be. Um, but as we were about five years into our time in Connecticut, really began to feel released from our season there and we're praying through what was next. And so I was calling some friends of, of ours and uh, was heavily involved in the, the EFCA, our denomination. And a guy that I called, you may be familiar with, uh, his name is Tim Rowley. And I told Tim, I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorting through, uh, you know, my calling and where God's leading me and thinking about maybe church planting. And he's like, man, I got to get you my dad's number. And, and we began to really, uh, I connected with Bob, Bob Rowley, the, sister, the superintendent of our district. And Bob started to talk to me about what was happening specifically in the state of Texas. And he said, I, I remember verbatim, he said, Mike, do you know that 25% of the economic growth in our whole country occurred in one state? Texas. And it's just booming and it's growing and we have all these cities that are exploding and we need to plant churches that plant churches. And that just really resonated with me. And so I began to pray through more of where God was leading us specifically and began to learn about the city of San Antonio and the, the rapid growth boom that the city's experiencing. They're expecting 1.1 million people to, to move to San Antonio within the next 20 to 25 years. And they need to plant churches to be able to keep up with that growth and to reach these people for Jesus. And so I just got um, super excited about that and then learned of a church plant actually in San Antonio called Stone Oak Bible Church that was committed to wanting to plant churches. And so I connected with their lead pastor and began to think about maybe what would it look like to, to partner together. And he invited me uh, to join their staff uh, as a resident, a church planting pastor in residence. Okay, so from that, you, you planted up where you joined up with Stone Oak. So tell us a little bit about that residency as we desire to be a church that has residencies of the same nature. How is that residency a blessing to you personally and to you guys as a family? So if you're unfamiliar with a, a church planting residency, what it is is a church um, would, would take on a pastor who feels called to, to church planting and would say, hey, we're going to have you join our staff. 
We're going to give you experience, let you learn about the community, um, let you connect with people, kind of form maybe even a core team from the church to be able to go with you to, to plant out, and then we're going to stand uh, beside you as you go and plant a church. And I, I'm so encouraged by the vision of Grace to plant a church in every zip code in Laredo. Um, but one of the things I do want to just share is church planting is, is difficult. It's not easy to go start a church, and especially, you know, without any connections. And so this church came alongside us and loved on our family so well. We have a, a little girl, or was in, in the picture, we adopted from Uganda. And we were at the end of our adoption, not knowing when we were going to go over there and go get her. And I tell you what, we were so loved on by uh, that church community, by Stone Oak Bible Church. And they just encouraged us every step of the way. They were with us and, and supported us and, and helped even send us some people. We took three families from their church that helped us plant mission community. And it was wonderful for me because rather than just from day one just jumping out and being on our own, I was able to learn about our city and where is God moving in the city? What are some of the needs in our city and how can we meet those needs? And who are some city leaders and officials we can connect with and just learn about how can we serve our community more effectively? And so it was, an, a, wonder, it was a wonderful experience um, for, for me and for, for our family personally as well as just uh, setting us up well to plant well. Um, but also, I think if their church leadership was here today, they would say that it was m very beneficial for them as well because it taught their church and, and showed them practically that there are people in the city of San Antonio that Stone Oak Bible never could reach. Just as there are people in the city of Laredo that are beyond the reach of, of Grace Bible Church. And by being able to send out other people to go into those, those sections of the city, it really does show that it's not about our seating capacity, but it's about our sending capacity and sending people out on gospel-centered mission. And so it was just really, really wonderful. And I'm super, super pumped about the opportunity to come alongside Grace in this. And I was, uh, had dinner with Chad and his family last night and just talking about, like, we want to help you guys do this as well and help to teach and equip church planters um, because this is something that's it's a huge passion of mine. We're excited. We're glad to have you guys here. And I, I'm going to just take a moment. Yeah, you can clap for him. Gilbert can get up. I want to pray for Michael as he shares today because if you haven't picked up, there's a couple of words that describe Michael. One of them is timid. <laughs> He's shy. You know, he has a hard time, you know, getting energy and any of that. So I'm just going to pray that God will give him a little bit of energy so that he can get through this message. I'm always told I need and to it, like tone it down. So I apologize. <laughs> no, we like the excitement, but I'm just teasing you. I'll then pray for him and pray for us as he shares with us this morning. Father, we do love you and just praise you for what you're doing uh, in your church across the EFCA in particular in our movement, but elsewhere is, is church planning and churches are beginning to realize it's not about how many people they can pack into their one building, but it's about the needs in their city and sending people out to plant churches in every area of their city to reach places that maybe would never be reached by our own church and to, to think beyond the four walls and even the boundaries that most of us often cross on a regular basis. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would continue to grow us as a church in that direction. I thank you for Michael and Ariel and just their calling and their desire to do that and being part of our movement and reaching a part of San Antonio uh, that isn't very well reached with churches right now. And today I pray that you would just use him and fill him to speak your word to us as your church. 
uh, Lord, and bless this body as well as you bless him by sharing. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, it is so great to be here at Grace. I've, been, I've loved connecting with Chad, and I, I do, I'm, I'm being serious when I say this. He is a wonderful man, and I, I wish he could be my pastor. I mean, he is, you guys are so blessed uh, with Pastor Chad, and, and I know the, the team here. And so it really is, is humbling and an honor to be here at Grace and also here in Laredo. I, I uh, almost started a war this morning amongst the worship team as we were hanging out. And I asked them, I said, if I only had one shot to have lunch in Laredo and I really like Mexican food, where am I going? And they said, I heard Taco Palenque, I heard Tacos Kisi, I heard La Carenta, I heard like all of these different places and people were really passionate about it and you could tell that they were like, no, Danny's is better. And they got like super excited. So if you have a restaurant, you know, that, that you really are like, man, you really need to go here, please let us know because I'm a huge fan of Mexican food. And I grew up in, in Illinois in the Chicago area and for me, like going to get real Mexican food, like great Mexican food. I'd go to Chipotle. That was, that was the place. And when I was in college and in seminary, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of extra money. And so I would save money and, you know, even circle a day on the counter. Okay, I'm going to go to Chipotle next Wednesday. And I'd be super excited. And one day, I remember it vividly, they had free burrito day for all college and seminary students. And I was super pumped. And I made the mistake, though, of going around 6 o'clock, which was like prime dinner time. And you have all these hungry college kids that don't want to eat in the cafeteria that go to Chipotle for their free burrito. And so we waited in line for over an hour. I kid you not. It like snaked around outside. And finally, I start like getting up towards the front of the line, and I'm like, man, okay, I'm going to have white rice, pinto beans. Man, I can even get guacamole because it's free. This is great. Like, oh, man. And, and I look, and I see the door open, and there's a guy that I recognize from some of my seminary classes, and he walks in, and he's got a friend with him, and he just starts weaving his way through the line, and he goes to the very front of the line, and he goes through, gets his burrito, Gets it in a bag, looks at his buddy and says, see, that's how it's done. And then he leaves. And I'm standing there with my friend and I'm like, no, he did not. Seriously, did he just do that? Like he totally just cut and had complete disregard for everybody else that was waiting in line. And I'd seen this guy on campus in seminary and um, was kind of put off by the way he was treating people, to be honest. And so I just tried to avoid the guy. Really didn't have much space for that, the way that he was treating people. Um, but one of my friends, who was a much better man than I am, decided he was going to be this guy's friend. And he wanted to get to know him. And, and he kind of observed some of the same tendencies in this guy as I did. And so there was a, a class project that we had. And my friend intentionally placed himself in this guy's group. And so this guy, while they were talking about a project, made a comment about somebody and then just said how he doesn't like people. And so my friend Bob said, well, Chris, do you call yourself a Christian? He said, well, of course I'm a Christian. What does that have to do with the way I feel about people? And my friend said, well, doesn't part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and isn't fundamental of what it means to be a Christ follower that you'll have a love for God but also for others? 
And this guy was silent and didn't have anything to say because my friend knew that it is impossible to be a true follower of Jesus Christ and not have a deep love and concern for your brothers and sisters and for those around you. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Today we're going to be in the book of 1 John chapter 4. I invite you to turn there with us this morning. Um, But as we do that, I want to just set a little bit of the background. It was written by a guy named John, uh, and John wrote to the early church, and the early church was in a very, very fragile state. They had been experiencing some people who who, um, had kind of joined the ranks of the church and had even climbed the ranks to become church leaders, and they were teaching some messages that were contrary to the gospel. And there were some false teachers that had arisen. It would be like if one of the pastors or church leaders, well-respected leader on staff here at Grace, um, started teaching something that was contrary to the Bible. And then if a crowd or a faction of you from Grace started following that person, and then you left the church. Well, that would leave the rest of you kind of scratching your heads going, what is going on? Why did that just happen? What is truth? How do we even... um, continue here. And so John not only writes to combat false teaching, but also to encourage them to continue in the gospel. And John was so well respected by the early church because he was the last remaining apostle that was alive, that was with Jesus during his ministry and was there when Jesus was crucified. And John was also saw Jesus after he resurrected and then ascended into heaven. And so John was very credible and the church was eager to learn from him. And so John writes and says, listen, continue in the truth of the gospel and drives them back to truth. I love that y'all are doing this series about refocusing because oftentimes things can distract us and they lure us off course. Sometimes, yes, it is false teaching, but other times we just get consumed and wrapped up in other things and we need to refocus or get back on what's important And so that's what we're doing this morning. And John drives and impresses this idea of what it means to be a Christ follower and says, hey, we have to love each other. And our first point this morning is that we love as Christians or as followers of Jesus because God is love and is the source of love. We love because God is love and is the source of love. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You'll see in verse 7 it says love is from God. And then verse 8 says, well, God is love. And that might sound a little confusing. But I heard someone describe it that um, when, when John says that love is from God, he doesn't mean it the way that, lo- uh, that letters are from a mailman or even letters are from a, a, from a friend. But rather, he means it the way that heat is from fire or light is from the sun. Love is part of what it means for God to be God. And love is central to who he is. It's inerrant in his nature. Sun gives light because it is light. Fire gives heat because it is heat. So God gives love because he is love. Love is inerrant in all God is and in all God does. And John says, listen, if you really know God, then you will know love. And one of the things I love about Pastor Chad and even from what I've heard that you guys are talking about here at Grace Bible Church is about having a relationship with God. 
This is not about religion. This isn't about coming to church for the sake of it or about duty or about legalism or about part of a culture because we just go to church. But this is having a vibrant relationship with the God of the universe. And John says, hey, when we have a relationship with God and we get to know who he is, part of what that means is that we're going to experience and encounter this love because this is who God is. And that because of that, we're to be people who love. That part of what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus is that you are to love each other. Now, I'm pretty sure you're here this morning or now afternoon, and you're saying, you're not, you're not sitting in your seat going, whoa, I've never heard this before. He's talking about love and that we're supposed to love each other. And man, that is a novel concept. I've never heard that I'm supposed to love. Because we talk about love and, and we and, and read our Bibles and it says love each other. But all too often, I think that as a church, we do a good job of talking about describing things and description rather than prescribing things and prescription. Like we can explain something and talk about what it is, but what do we do in light of that? Now, John tells us that God is love and is the source of love. So what's the implication for you and for me today? Now, if I'm thirsty and I see a water fountain, what do I do? I go to the water fountain and I take a drink from the water fountain because that is the source of water that can quench my thirst. Now, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, hey, I want to be a loving person. Well, God is the source of love and we're to go to the source, spend time with him. The God of the universe loves you. The God of the universe loves me and wants us to be in relationship with him and allows us to go to him and to experience this love. And our vertical relationship with God will automatically affect our relationship with others or our horizontal relationships. So then John kind of presses into this idea. He says, listen, you love because God is love. And if you know God, then you know love. But if you don't love people, then you don't know God. And then he goes on to say, listen, this is why we love, is we love to follow God's example of sacrificial love. Verse 9 says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John tells us the greatest manifestation or the embodiment of God's love is that he sent his son. He says this twice in verse 9 and then in verse 10 again, that God loves us and he sent his son. God loves us and so he sent his son. And the reason he sent his son is to be the propitiation for us. Now, if you woke up this morning and went to Taco Palenque to get breakfast tacos and then got your coffee and sat around as a family to have breakfast together, and you looked at, you know, one of your family members and said, hey, what are you thinking about right now? I'm pretty sure they didn't say, propitiation. That's not a word that we talk about a lot. That's not a word that we throw around in our vocabulary, but it is so important and it's central to the gospel. Because the word propitiation literally means to appease or to satisfy wrath. To literally take away the wrath. 
Now, if you're here this morning, I'm pretty sure if I were to ask you, hey, how many of you have done something wrong in your life? All of you, unless you're a compulsive liar, would raise your hand and say, yeah, hey, I've done something wrong in my life. Well, we stand before this perfect, and if I said, hey, do you believe God's perfect? Well, yeah, of course, he's perfect. So we stand before this perfect God, and we're a sinner. And there's nothing that we can do on our own to be perfect like him. And God's wrath pours out against sin. And so by nature, we are objects of this wrath. And we deserve punishment in hell. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That we deserve this punishment. But what happened is that God sent his son, Jesus, who stepped into that punishment and paid the wrath or, or the propitiation for our sins so that we could be in relationship with God. It's amazing. I mean, the theology of this verse is truly so profound, and it really is mind-blowing when you think about it. But John says Jesus, being murdered on a cross, dying a bloody, gruesome death, that's how God showed love. This is what love looks like. You know, a lot of times we talk about, oh, God loves you or God loves me, but do we really understand it? Because he says, this is the propitiation that he satisfied the wrath of God. God didn't lower his standards so that we could be in relationship with him. On the contrary, he sent his son to do for me what I could not do for myself, to be the propitiation or to remove his wrath from me so I could be in relationship with him. And this is what John says is the greatest manifestation of love the world has ever seen. He says earlier in this letter in, in, in chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love that he laid his life down for us. That's what Jesus did, and he called it love. I think one of the problems that I face anyways is this word love. I'll say, I love coffee. I love tacos. I love the Chicago Bears. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. And we take this word and we just throw it around all the time. And, and for those of you who are Spanish speakers, you definitely do a better job with the word amor. And you, you don't throw it around as much as we do in the English language. Um, but, but it's important to really understand what John is saying here with this word love. In the Greek language, there's three primary words. The first one is phileo, which means a brotherly love, where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The second one is eros, which is a romantic kind of a love, like based on feelings and emotions and, and sensuality. And then the third one is an agape love. And that's the word John uses here. And that agape love is rooted and steeped in sacrifice. There are no conditions to agape love. It's an unconditional love that's, that's given, that runs deep and never runs out. It's limitless and it's boundless. And again, it's steeped in sacrifice. And I wonder, I sometimes just wonder, I wonder what John was thinking when he wrote this letter to this church that was so fragile. And he was writing about this love that Jesus showed us, the embodiment of love. I wonder if he was like giddy and, and with, with laughter and saying, you don't even understand. You can't even believe this. This is so crazy. And this love, like it's so exciting that Jesus gave his life for you so you don't have to suffer the wrath of God. Or I wonder if John was just weeping and if he was just sobbing uncontrollably saying, church, you don't get this. I was there with his mom. I was there with Mary watching Jesus die for you to satisfy the wrath of God. 
I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. Please don't cheapen this love that is the propitiation for our sins. And this is the sacrifice that Jesus gave for you. And this is how we're supposed to love each other. It says, just as Jesus gave his life, so should you. And so should me. And there's a weightiness and there's a heaviness that he's calling us to here. And when he says, so we ought to love each other, it doesn't mean ought to in an optional sense. But it means ought to the way that lemons ought to be sour. Or that fish ought to swim in water. Or that birds ought to fly. That as a Christian or a follower of Jesus, this is who we are. People who love like he did. So I want to do something a little awkward, maybe a little make you uncomfortable today, but I like making people, especially that I don't know, uncomfortable. I want you to look around the room for a minute. Just look into people's eyes for a second. Nervous laughter, love it. Now, what about you? Would you lay your life down for the people in this room? Do you know the people in this room even well enough to be able to answer that question. But let's, let's even back up a little bit and be a little more practical. Uh, what about laying your time down for the people in this room? Are you willing to create margin in your life to love and serve those around you? To give up of yourself and to sacrifice and show this agape love to your brothers and sisters? What about your money and your resources? Are you willing to sacrifice those for the needs of other people? And are you going to be a person who opens your eyes enough and even your ears enough to listen to the needs of those around you and to see those needs in a way that you can meet them and step into them? Because we're called to love and this love is steeped and rooted in sacrifice. And so what does that look like for you individually, but also corporately as Grace Bible Church? How are we loving just as Jesus did? Because the love that Jesus showed us and what John says, that this is the manifestation of love, it's not some abstract concept. Jesus came to show us absolutely what love looks like, and it was by laying his life down. And he says, hey, you go do the same thing. And oftentimes we just talk about it like, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I love other people. But do we know what that means? Do we love like Christ did? And so are you going to be willing to show the agape love of Jesus to those around you? John then presses this and says, listen, hey, this is cool, but this is not about you, and this isn't something that you do yourself. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I'm struggling to be a loving person, that's okay. I struggle to be a loving person too, but this isn't about you, and this isn't about me. This is about God, and John says, this is a supernatural love that's from the Holy Spirit. We love because God has given us his Holy Spirit. We love because he's given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. God, who is the essence and source of love, remember this is who he is, has given us his Holy Spirit who lives in us. Throughout his, his letter, John writes that we've been loved by the Father, we're purchased by the Son, and that we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit of the living God lives in you and produces this love in you. 
I love what pastor, author, and writer John Piper says. He says this, if anyone ever asks, how does the fact that God loves you result in your loving others? The answer is this, the new birth creates that connection. The new birth is the act of the Holy Spirit connecting our dead and selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart so that his life becomes our life and his, his love becomes our love. Recently, I was talking about this with a friend over lunch, and, and we were talking about the love of the world and love in the church, and, and he said, you know, the, the thing about what sets us apart is that we don't love in and of ourselves. It's not in our own strength. It's through the Spirit at work in us that makes us more like Jesus. And it's one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. The first fruit that's listed is love. And so I think the question that we have to ask ourselves and to wrestle with today, are, there's two questions. Number one, do you believe that the Holy Spirit of the living God lives in you? Paul writes in Romans, do you not know that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you? That's amazing. Do you believe that? Because I think for me growing up in, in a church circle, the practical trinity was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. We were comfortable with God the Father, we're comfortable with Jesus, and we're comfortable with the Bible. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit wanting to, to take control of our life and to make us more like Jesus Christ, we kind of get a little scared. But are you willing or do you believe that he lives inside of you? And the second question is, are you willing to open yourself to the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to be a vessel and say, okay, God, would you produce this supernatural love in my life and make me loving towards other people? And so he says, listen, we love because the Holy Spirit is in us and he's making us more like Jesus. And this is, this is a supernatural love. And then he says that this love gives us confidence for the day of judgment. This love gives us confidence for the day of judgment. The truth is, I think you all would agree with me, that we're not going to live forever. And the Bible tells us that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and give an account for the way that we lived. That's scary. Do you ever think about that? I mean, I shouldn't say scary. I mean, I think it probably is scary. And it is weighty. Have you ever had an interview with your boss or a performance review where you go into their office and you know that they're going to look at what, what your performance has been and they're going to give an, you have to give an account for, for what you've done? We have to do that with Jesus. And John says, listen, if you're loving people around you, you can look at your life and see the way that you're loving and you can see that this is a supernatural work of God that, hey, this is not of me and I'm part of the family of God because the way that I'm loving those around me that we can have confidence for the day of judgment. That we can look at Jesus and say, listen, Jesus, I know that I'm saved because of what you're doing in my life and what the Holy Spirit has done. And our love for each other is not what saves us, but it's proof that we're saved. Let me just make sure I clarify that. That it's not what saves us. We're saved only by Jesus' blood and righteousness. But that this love that we have shows that we're saved. And that we are able to look at our life and be confident. Now, if you took a cold, hard look at your life, could you be confident? Or are you stuck on yourself and your ambitions and your dreams and your goals? 
and consuming things for yourself. And again, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have ambitions or dreams or goals, but who's this about? Because for the Christian that the Holy Spirit is working in, it draws us into this relationship with God and makes us love towards others in a way that, that people can see God at work in our life. And it gives us confidence that we're able to go and stand before Jesus Christ because we're loving each other. And I love what John says at the end of this, this section. He says, listen, that love is the heart of Christian witness. Love is the heart of Christian witness. He says in verse 14, and we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We've seen and we testify. That word testify literally means to proclaim or to show or to tell people. We tell people the Father has sent Jesus to save us. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Love started with God, is manifested by his Son, and is demonstrated by his people. Love started with God, is manifested by his Son, and is demonstrated by his people. John says nobody can see God because God um, is invisible. And Jesus isn't here. But when we love each other, people are able to see who God is in a picture of Jesus Christ. And the demonstration that he has given or that God has given to the world is to be the church. Jesus says in John 13, by this the world will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. This is what the world is supposed to see when they look at the church is that we're to love each other and they're to see a picture of Jesus and the gospel. But do you think that's the way that people view the church of Jesus Christ today? You know, I, I was reading in a survey that was taken from non-Christians or people who do not claim to be a, a follower of Jesus, and there were three things that they thought about Christians. The top three things were that they were judgmental, hypocritical, and homophobic. It wasn't that they were sacrificial, that they were caring and compassionate and generous and loving and giving but that they were judgmental, that they're looking at me and condemning me for the way that I live. They're hypocritical. They say one thing and do another. And, and the last thing is that they're scared of gay people. That's what we think about the church. And I'm not saying that that's an accurate picture of, of Grace Bible by any stretch of the imagination. But that's what, how a lot of people perceive Christians today. And they see us gather up as the, gather together as the church of Jesus and, oh, we love Jesus and we love God and we study the Bible, but, but it doesn't seem to make a difference in the way that we're living. You know, I, I heard an illustration that really helped me that I want to share with you this morning. Um, and it's about football, and I really, really enjoy football, so I resonate with it. Is anybody else excited about the football season starting a couple weeks? How many Dallas Cowboy fans here? I heard Pastor Eddie is the biggest Dallas Cowboys fan. That's what Chad told me. Um, but the Cowboys, you know, they're, they're kicking off the season against the New York Giants. And I want you to imagine for a minute that Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, heard about Grace Bible Church and said, hey, I'm going to send party buses down to Grace Bible to pick you all up, to take you up to the opening game of the Cowboys versus the Giants. And y'all, yeah, you'd be like, this is pretty great, right? And so you all get to go in a suite and, and sit in a suite 
and have all the free food and all the sodas you want and you're ready to rock and roll and, and we start and there's music playing and the cowboys are out and they're stretching and warming up and then they go off the field and into the locker room and, and then game time is coming and we're looking at the clock and it's like, okay, we're getting close. We're getting close. Let's go. NFL underway. Come on. And the cowboys then come out onto the field and everybody's going crazy and they have the coin toss and the cowboys win and they win the toss and they're going to get the ball. And so the Giants come out, and everybody's lined up, and they kick off, and it's a touchback. Cowboys get the ball on the 20-yard line, and we see Dak Prescott standing next to Jason Garrett. He gets the play, and he runs out into the field, and everybody's going crazy. And they huddle up in their huddle. Dak calls out the play, and ready, break. And they all run back off to the sidelines. We'd be like, what? What? Okay. All right. Maybe that was really weird. Like, did they have the wrong personnel out there? That's really weird. Okay, ready? And they come back up, and Dak gets another play, and they huddle up. Ready? Break. And they run back off to the sidelines. And they did it again and again and again. We'd be sitting there super confused saying, what are they doing? Why are they getting together and huddling up and calling a play? They're not running the play. Why did they even take the field? But you know what? I wonder. I wonder if this is what the world thinks of us as Christians. That we gather together, and then we huddle up, and we get a play from our playbook, and coach calls the play. And oh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to love each other. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to love our neighbors. We're going to care for each other. We're going to make time for each other. We're going to give to each other. We're going to be generous just like Jesus Ready? Break. And we go back off to the sidelines and live just like everybody else. Do you ever wonder if that's what they think when they think about us? But you know what? I am so encouraged to be here. I'm so excited to be able to be here and be a part of of this and to hear about church leadership that says, listen, we want to send people out on gospel-centered mission in our city and that we take this seriously of living out the gospel and loving each other so that people in our city can see this. This is what we want to be a part of in San Antonio is there is such a need. I see hurting people everywhere that are broken, that are desperate for hope. And we're seeing people come to Jesus and experience saving faith in Christ and the hope of the world. And this is happening in Laredo. And I love your vision of wanting to plant a church in every six or in each one of the six zip codes in Laredo. Because you know what? This city needs it. Desperately. Do you believe that? I've, I've done some reading on Laredo. I've talked with several people from Grace and even others about Laredo. And it is a city that is in desperate need of the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. And can you put that, uh, that song back up that we sang today, just this, that slide for me? We sang this this morning as we gathered. And, you know, we don't just sing songs because it's, what we do and that we have to, you know, sing four songs before a sermon. Well, we sing these songs because they're true. We don't just follow some cool dude who plays guitar, but this is truth that now's the time for us to rise and carry hope and let love shine and show this world that mercy is alive. And the same song talked about a desperation that we can show the love that this world is desperate for. And I just want to ask you and challenge you 
Are you going to be committed to doing that? To spending time with God who is love and is the source of love. And that we're people who, who follow the example of Jesus Christ who is a propitiation for our sins. And that we love because we have the Holy Spirit of the living God living in us that produces this love in us. And that we're able uh, to, to have confidence in our lives by the way that we're loving and living. And then lastly, that we are the heart of Christian witness or that we show people who Jesus is. You know, I love what, I think Nike got it right when their slogan is just do it. You know, this is, now's the time to let love shine and show the world that mercy is alive. And so I just invite you, would you stand with me? I just want to pray over you. And again, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here. It's humbling for me to come and be a, a part of this and to see what God's doing here at Grace in the city of Laredo. And I, I'm excited to continue this partnership with you all. So would you just let me pray over you?